for Your Darkness, a first responder mental health podcast hosted by me, Erin Jane, where we have conversations about what it's like to perform a first responder role and the mental health challenges that can accompany it. Let's get started. Um, (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of I Will Hold Space for Your Darkness. I'm your host, Erin Jane. Uh, This is a first responder mental health podcast. And today we have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Beta. Uh, so Beta is a former crier. Start that one again. Beta is a former crisis counselor at a suicide prevention organization here in Boston, and she's currently a registered nurse working at an ED department in uh, one of the major hospitals downtown in Boston. Welcome, Beta. Thank you. <laughs> um, so today uh, we've got her here to um, have a chat about um, her experience at the crisis counselling organisation um, and as well as her role now uh, in nursing in the ED department. Um, so Beta, I guess probably to get started, um, I'd love to chat to you about what drew you to working at the crisis counselling organisation. Um, so honestly, for, for me, it was... Uh, trying to figure out a career. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was trying to decide between social work and nursing and the organization had, um, training for volunteers. Mm -hmm. So I thought it would be a a good way to kind of get a little bit of a glimpse into what social workers may do and kind of what that, that life might be like. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I started as a volunteer and that's kind of what brought me in. And then while I was there, I enjoyed the work and I ended up getting, um, you know, a, a staff position and then mm-hmm. got promoted and then started training um, the other volunteers at the organization. Yep. So, um, but that's, that's originally what, what started it and what drew me to it. Okay. And what, what were you doing before that? I was uh, in the veterinary field, actually. Oh, wow. So I was a vet tech. I, you know, I always thought I was going to help animals and not humans, but, (laughs) (laughs) but then my own personal medical things happened and I had to kind of reassess what's feasible, what's not, and, uh, what I could do and what I couldn't do. And then also what I could do in terms of schooling and the debt that that would put me in and all of that. I had to to think about all of that. And so that's why I was trying to decide nursing or social work because, both are two-year programs, both sometimes you can do part-time. And then if you wanted to do further schooling, you could potentially do that part-time. So I just thought that if my own medical stuff kind of deteriorates, I could potentially be doing further things while working. So I would come out with less debt yep. and then I wouldn't be leaving such a high burden for anybody Yeah, if, if things went like south. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that's really like in, um, an interesting perspective, especially in this country where schooling is so incredibly expensive, like that is something that, you know, actually comes into play when you're looking at your future and your career, 
like that's also something that you have to take into account, like the financial aspect of how many years it's going to take to go to school and, yeah. and you know, what you're going to earn potentially on like the other side of it too. Right. Because like I didn't do, I wasn't someone who graduated high school and immediately went to school. I was someone who graduated high school. My dad passed away senior year of college okay. and I left college yeah. because I just wasn't ready for it either. Yeah. And then trying to figure it out. So I was already an older student and then thinking about, okay, I need to think about like what I can afford to do. Yeah. Like, and also then had to consider my medical stuff. And if I wouldn't respond appropriately to treatments, like what would happen? Yeah. And that's so it was just a shift in life a yeah. little bit. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> you know? understandable. And obviously, you know, learning to, figure out your life after your dad had passed away and the grieving yeah. process. I think that would have really yeah. probably changed your thinking a lot of things too. Yeah, for sure did. And, you know, I'm still working on that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So. No, as a, as someone who has been like over 30 years, I think you're always growing in your thoughts and feelings and uh, about it, about yeah. the loss and about. And understanding about the grief and yeah. whatever, and whatever you're it, missing, whatever you're not missing. Just and how it impacts it. your life. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Yeah. I, um, I stand with you in solidarity. I <laughs> <That> respect <laughs> my dear. I really do. Um, and so, so you mentioned the fact that um, when you started at Samaritans, it was in a volunteer capacity. Um, talk to me a little bit about like the, the process that you went through to to get into that and what kind of training they provided you and, and what your duties were, were like in that respect. Yeah. Uh, so it was, um, they're, they're actually a pretty amazing organization. Um, you know, you go for like an information session, you learn about what your role is as a volunteer, mm -hmm. um, you know, and what you might, what might be expected of you. And then you, uh, you have, you fill out your application, you do an interview and that kind of is, um, you know, you work on your talking and trying to get more understanding of the role in your interview as well. And then, um, and then you go through this training session, which is, um, you know, multiple weekends, mm -hmm. um, where you get trained on how to answer your calls, the type of callers to expect, how to assess for suicidality and just how to be comfortable with these kind of difficult conversations. Yeah. And, um, for a lot of people, it's like how to not try and automatically fix things yeah. and just allow an individual to kind of like talk. Cause like, you know, a lot of times what we're looking for is that kind of like companionship or to feel heard. Mm -hmm. So it's like, so the training tries its best to kind of get you out of your comfort zone of fixing things yeah. and, and not listening to shift and to listen. Yeah. Um, or like listening to respond as opposed yeah. to just holding space for, for, for the person on the other end of the phone. Right. Right. And then also just importantly, like to assess for suicidality, because mm -hmm. even though I had experienced it peripherally in my life, like I, I had never assess somebody for suicide. Yeah. I never had those conversations before. Yeah. So, you know, I, so I did that and then you do your on the phone training and then you're, you know, and then you're answering calls. Yeah. And at that time, Samaritans was also starting with their texting services. So then I was yeah. like participating with that as well. Yeah. And like, so, so that's, that's essentially what it was just answering these calls and more often than not just talking to people who really just needed somebody to talk to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Did you sort of find yourself having a preference for either communicating 
on the phone or like via text or it was sort of much of a muchness for you? Um, for me, it was like, a, it was a little bit similar. It was interesting that I found that people were sometimes a lot more comfortable over text to just quickly say what they were feeling. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Where we're over the phone, just it a, took like, a little bit Emotional longer. vomit out yeah. of like everything. Yeah. Where, yeah, you know, sometimes to actually say it, like verbally say it, it can be more difficult for somebody where to type it out. I don't know. It's like a, a level once removed. I'm not sure, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so I found that that was, that was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. And it was also interesting to just, um, I feel like I can actually text better now because I feel like I have the capacity to be a little bit more conversational over text yeah. where some people can't. <laughs> so, so, you know, you get that person who just texts you and it's like Very stiff blunt. or like yeah. whatever it might yeah. be. And, and like, I feel like I can have a, like almost like a verbal conversation. Yeah. Or, and, and especially like approach, like a, a difficult conversation or asking someone a difficult question Yeah, and like frame it in that certain way. To that, like soften it so yeah it's not quite so harsh yeah or... not quite like delivering a shit sandwich but yeah right literally it's my favorite play with my husband um, <laughs> <laughs> i still don't think he knows <laughs> um and so uh for anyone who may have listened to any previous um podcasts that we've done on here um that's actually where Beta and I met, was at the Suicide Prevention Organization. Um, so uh, how long did you work there for in the end? I think like five years in, in, in different roles. Yeah. You know, I volunteer and then I got a role with their texting service as like a coordinator. Okay. And then I uh, did uh, got a managerial role with the texting service. And then I did a lateral move to a managerial role with just training and quality improvement yeah. of like the volunteers, yeah. like all the volunteers. Yeah. So, so I think that's probably at the stage where I came in. Yeah. I worked there for like a couple of years, all inclusive yeah. with the volunteer aspect and, and all that kind of yeah. thing. And I think you were doing that. And, um, and did you do rostering and stuff or you, did we, did you do rostering at all or no rostering in what sense like like helping play like, plug in like schedules yeah stuff? oh yeah yeah rostering yeah. Scheduling, sorry. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm like you are yeah. <laughs> like, but oh, come um, on you know me long enough yeah, now you should I be know, able to I quantify should. my accent babe. I should. <laughs> no it's just the, the rostering <laughs> Heard you use that word actually you know um, there, there are certain I'll words switch on my american with. dictionary my american thesaurus in my brain right. um no yeah because uh, the way samaritans was was that all staff like would be the person people to like respond so if there wasn't someone who typically would man that mm -hmm. email like i would be on it yeah and so i would respond so. yeah and um and yeah and so that organization itself was it was literally besides those specific roles, you know, like you were talking about that you sort of like stepped into obviously the, the complete like cogs that make everything work are like paid positions, but yeah. the, the kind of boots on the ground is literally volunteers. just all volunteers. all volunteers. So it was people who were answering your phone call nine times out of 10 was, you know, someone who was donating and, and giving mm -hmm. their time because yeah. they believed in that, that cause yeah. and in helping people dealing with suicidal ideation or even just feeling lonely. lonely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I mean, I would kind of say from my experience, like more of the calls that you get aren't necessarily someone in the capacity of, you know, like, I guess what you imagine to be at like that really mm-hmm. far, you yeah. know, teetering on the edge of the cliff about right. like wanting to, you know, take their own life, like a, like a lot more of the, the mass calls and texts you got were just kind of people who were lonely. Yeah. Going through something, feeling like they had no one to talk to. Yeah. No support, you know, or or not wanting to like burden their support or, um, maybe not feeling like they could talk to their support Mm -hmm. about that. Like some people do have support, but they just, you know, people don't always allow the difficult conversations. So sometimes they don't think that they could go to that person. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they've never talked to them like yeah. that. So. And, I, and I think that's like a, an interesting aspect too. Like, so I think for, for me in my like personal life, like sometimes, sometimes something doesn't feel real until I tell a very like specific person in my life. Yeah. And then kind of like admitting it to that person makes it real yeah so I think as well like having that freedom to say something that would either potentially really like hurt or Mm -hmm. make them worry or break their heart to you know explain to a loved one like I'm you know I feel suicidal I don't know if I want to be here anymore I'm in so much psychological pain but then talking to a stranger who has just got no advice, they're not going to try to fix it. Just all they've literally got to offer you is empathy and like an ear to listen to let you right. just, right. you know, word vomit it <clears throat> out. Like I, I think that in itself had a lot of power for, for people. Right. Um, and then if something like goes wrong, like, you know, I think a lot of us fear that we're going to be judged for whatever we we've done or experienced. So then if we go and we're just like, Oh, I got myself into a lot of debt. I'm having trouble with this. Then there, you know, we think that a family member will be like, or, or somebody will be like, how did you let this happen? Yeah. Like, why were you so stupid? Yeah. Kind of stuff like that. Yeah. Or it's like, that's not what you need in that time. Like <laughs> what you need is just the support to kind of see if you can find a way to get yourself out of the rabbit hole. So, and so sometimes just having that, like, with with the phone call yeah just helps yeah you're not going to be judged yeah and even just kind of helping them talk through you know like I I think at times I might have like helped people kind of get up the the confidence to have that conversation conversation. yeah with a loved one and it was like they were like dipping their toe in the water just by actually you know learning what words that they actually wanted to wanted to to say. say yeah oftentimes there's like that you know, if you would have this conversation with that person, what would you mm-hmm. like to say? And then they can test it out on you, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and, um, and as well, you know, we used to have like a, a list of, of resources that right. we could give to people. Calling. Offer, yeah. yeah. And especially, you know, like if you got a caller and they were really experiencing some like high suicidal ideation and they may have, you know, thought about a method, whether they had access to that method or not, you know, it, it would depend on the situation, but sometimes like they, there was just like a certain amount of relief mm-hmm. with them kind of in the, you know, they'd be like, Oh, like I feel better. Like having gotten out, talk to you. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well that's great. But like, let's, let's try to put something, at least a little bit of something in place that now we're not just going to get off the phone and you're going to feel back to yeah. how you were. Yeah. And I think that was also, you know, an important aspect that I always felt that I wanted to really 
try to give them like something for after a phone call, not right. just, oh, hey, call back if you need to. Right. Um, because obviously they were never guaranteed to, to speak to us ever again. Right, right. Um, but I feel like, yeah, that was also something kind of important. And, and, and people would call up for, you know, could be for a domestic violence related um, mm-hmm. reason. They may yeah. have been sexually assaulted. Yeah and not know who to talk to, where to turn. So when we, you know, had, like, I just remember giant binders, Binders, like, full of, you know, and then I think I even had just, um, there were ones that weren't in the binders, but then, you know, the people that you worked with sort of on a regular basis, it'd be like, they might overhear your kind of conversation and be like, oh, like, here, like, you know, this is a really good one. So I even just had, like, a draft email of, like, all these kind of, services and stuff that and because you know especially if you were texting you literally like send someone the link to this website that website this organization that organization which i sort of always felt was was a really good part of of what we did there yeah yeah for sure Um, and did you ever um have anything to do with the grief support services that they offered at samaritans um not often mm-hmm. uh, I would help um, they would have um, an annual um, remembrance yeah an annual remembrance for individuals where it would be held like around the same time every year yep. and people could come and they could remember their loved one and there are different ways that they could um, like honor that loved one mm-hmm. and it would be either putting something into this little kind of book or or actually choosing to say speak speak mm-hmm. out um at the at the event or play a piece or just play have music played yeah. or have somebody else read something on their behalf yeah. there was all these things that that they um, that they had mm-hmm. um and so i would help with that yeah. um i would help with that but um the the meetings the way the, you know, services worked was it was that also was volunteer based and it was, um, loss survivors helping loss survivors. Mm -hmm. And I'm not actually a suicide loss survivor. Um, I haven't lost anyone, um, to suicide. So, so I just didn't fit in that role. Um, but I mean, I would obviously support my coworkers Mm -hmm. and then I would go to this annual event and I would help them, um, put it together to Mm -hmm. make sure that it tries to run as smoothly as possible so that those that do go, um, can, can have it be the best, like the, best experience for what it is yeah but but yeah and help it smoothly. help it feel beneficial in that respect Correct. yeah yeah I so think, that's how I, I, help. I think I attended one of those like I said I think I worked one yeah um one year and it was held at I want to say it was like at a church but I think yeah. it was like a multi-denominational church yeah. so that yeah. everyone kind of felt welcome and right. like you said there was a room like a memorial or remembrance book and yeah like you said people got up and could read like maybe a letter to the the person that they lost um play a song um you know maybe read that person's favorite poem or something like that and it was you know it's it's an interesting community because everyone there is is bound and joined like you're all Mm -hmm. strangers but there is this really unique connection I think that that people feel when you have lost someone in the same way as someone Correct. else yeah um and as well it's not it's it's such a topic that makes so many people feel 
uncomfortable yeah. and it's you know if 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 you lose someone and say it's I don't know like to cancer or like you know which is obviously something that most people have lost someone someone to like there there is a lot of camaraderie in response to that because a lot of people have gone through it um and they may know the process but it's it's so widely spoken about yeah that I feel like there's like a more of a comfort level about people talking about that right. whereas you know even like from my personal experience like when someone will ask you oh how did someone so die and if you say oh by suicide or they took their own life or they can you know completed suicide whatever language right people feel comfortable using like it is literally a hard fucking stop, stop. Yeah. <laughs> to that conversation right. because they are and often un unless they've actually had that type of loss themselves where they right. will feel more comfortable to discuss it with you um it makes people so uncomfortable yeah and they don't know what to say they don't know where to go with it yeah and and it's it's challenging I think in that respect yeah I think it's because like um I mean and obviously like I can be completely wrong I'm I'm I haven't experienced it mm -hmm. myself but I just through what I've seen and based on my work I used to always talk with my volunteers about like how it seems to be human nature to blame something when something goes wrong and so I feel like when it comes to, to suicide or suicidality, it's like, who do you blame? Yeah. It's like, what gets blamed? And sometimes, um, you know, people will blame themselves. Like yeah. I could have done more yeah. and then, or, you know, they'll blame that person for not getting the help that they needed or whatever it might be. But yeah. there's like, there's this like weird place. Like, you know, if someone dies from cancer, you blame the disease and it's yeah. like, oh, that's just a disease. Like it's yeah. not anyone's fault. Like, like it's not like, right? Yeah. right. But then when it comes to like suicidality, it's like it, the, you know, yes, there's the mental health like disorder disease that someone could be suffering mm -hmm. from. Um, but then they're like, people don't always go there to, to blame like the depression. Like sometimes I feel like they feel like they have to blame like an individual. Yeah. Like, and so then they don't want to have that conversation. Like they yeah. don't want to, and I don't know, I, I can be, you know, I, like I said, I can be completely wrong. This is just like my observance mm -hmm. um, where I just feel like that also is, you know, it's not this kind of external thing. Yeah. It's like, there's an internal thing, whether it's yeah. like a mental health thing, which no one's comfortable talking about, or whether it's like them thinking like, well, what did you not do to help your, yeah. you know, help your loved one? Yeah. So it's like, people just don't. And then, but it's, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that you can do everything in your power and still get the same outcome. And yeah. all you do is you try and do what you're capable of doing and hope that you don't get that outcome. Yeah. You know, but it's just yeah. like, it's just, it's hard. And I do feel like, like with suicide, just like with any kind of mental health issue, I feel like a lot of people struggle to understand what that's like. And it's very hard for individuals who don't experience those things to be able to empathize. It is very yeah. hard for someone who's never suffered from depression to try and understand what it feels like to be in the dark and feel yeah. unmotivated and then feel guilty for being unmotivated. 100%. And then like, they just can't, they can't fathom it. It's very yeah. hard for someone who doesn't suffer from anxiety to actually recognize what that feels like. Yes. You know, they can tap into maybe like what it's like to feel like nervous and maybe a little mm -hmm. bit like anxious, but that's different than someone who yeah. suffers from like full on anxiety. Yeah. And, that's and a, it's very yeah. hard for them. It's very hard for that individual who never has those issues 
to to empathize so, yeah that's a really and like really tap into that yeah. tap into those emotions like as best as they try it's very difficult yeah you know no 100 percent, and very much like a especially like I think like a mindset like with when you were talking about like they can't they actually just cannot wrap their head around mm-hmm. the idea of someone feeling really like anxious to the point of suffering anxiety or sad you know, down or numb, you know, to the point of like feeling depressed because they kind of go, oh, you know, just pick yourself up, like fucking go for a run, go do the, like, you know, like the, the, because, because the way their mind works and clearly in a very like fortunate way that they may not have, have ever experienced that, but yeah, for them to actually be able to fathom it and that it's, it is about that mindset. They're like, well, their minds can't enter into that realm because they're like, right. they just have no right. conscious knowledge of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. They can't go into when it feels debilitating. And they yeah. Can't, they can't go into when it just doesn't go away. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. for them, they might experience like a touch of the emotion, but then yeah. it, it does go away. Yeah, exactly. So it's like they don't. So I don't know. That's why I feel like sometimes it's just harder for people. Like they just. Yeah. You know, and people don't always talk, they don't talk about it. So then it's like, it's not a norm. Yeah. And so it comes out of nowhere. People talk about cancer all the time. There's like, fuck cancer, like whatever. Yeah. You know, a car accident happens. Like, it's like, it's shit luck, like stuff like that. Like the blame the other driver, whatever it might be. You know what I mean? But yeah. And I I think as well, like the, our natural humanistic, you know, ability is, or just our like you know survival instinct is to survive like it's and so someone taking action to end their own life goes against sort of all of our core basic functionality as as a human and and I think like you know what you were saying too you can be angry at disease you can be angry at a drunk driver who you know hits a loved one and, and causes a car accident yet but I think it's really complicated to feel anger towards the person you've lost. Yeah. And, and obviously like, you know, there's the, everyone would probably be aware of like the stages of grief and and all that kind of thing. And anger is definitely in there, but it's generally anger related to the loss as opposed to that anger you might feel towards a person. And I think that with, um, so if, if anyone's not aware, like um, in in the community that that we worked in, when you were um, a, a suicide loss survivor, it meant that you had lost someone to suicide, um, a loved one or a friend or, or right. whoever. And um, it's I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talking about this really funny yeah, subject. No, but um, it is it is like you don't. Um, it's you, it's hard to be angry at the person yes. who took their life because like you want to kind of be mad at them, but then yeah. part of you is also then mad at yourself for not recognizing that they were suffering yes. to be able to get to that point yeah. of taking their life. Yeah. Um, and especially if so, it doesn't come like no one knew they were struggling. Yeah. Comes, people hide it very well. Yeah. Very well. And, and then yeah. there's that silent struggle that's happening and and so people can't fathom like yeah. to that, to that survival instinct, you can't yeah. fathom, like, how did I not see that they were in so much pain that they thought like, this is what were, the option. better option Yeah, either for themselves or for me or for the family. Yeah. Like they thought, Hey, like you're going to be better off without me. So everyone will be yeah. better off. 
everyone will be better yeah. off and this is the choice that I'm yeah. making. And then and, and again and then that plays into it because for for so long suicide has been considered, you know, the like it's such a selfish act. Yeah. And and if anything, like and I think you probably would have spoken to survivors in terms of um people who've previously attempted. Um I know like I had conversations with them yeah. on the phone. I remember attending a talk at a um the Massachusetts State Suicide Conference mm -hmm. that I think mm -hmm. we went to together yeah. one one year, yeah. and um, a, a guy got up and, and was talking about it and and how, you know, and and again all the my own like sort of work I've done about trying to understand like yeah what would have gone through like my dad's head at the time Correct. when yeah. he chose to end his life and he had three young children and yeah. a wife and you know yeah. all that kind of thing and it's. I think it's actually, it's such like a misconception because I mean, obviously they're not thinking rationally at that time. We're in that, that much yeah. psychological crisis, but it's the fact that a lot of the time they're actually trying to be selfless. Correct. Like yeah. they're trying to, and I, yeah. I mean, I think I even remember as a cop, like attending a job with a, a guy who had just literally just tried to, to end his own life. Um, and we, we got there and found him and, um, you know, we trying to he was conscious um you know and and I remember talking to him and you can't be a cop in that situation yeah. you have to be a human yeah and I literally just I literally just said mate what the fuck yeah. <laughs> like, like it kind of just slipped out but it was seemed appropriate at the time yeah um and and he was like oh you know blah 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 like you know ran out like a few things and he was just like I just I, I just think that, you know, it's, it's the right thing for everyone because I feel like a burden. And, yeah. and so it was just so heartbreaking, but it's so much of the time, like there's, it's cast as this like selfish decision. And if anything, more often than not, someone feels like such a burden on their, yeah. their family and their friends or their work colleagues that they just yeah. kind of go, you know what, everyone's going to be better off without me. Yeah. And it's such a sad, sad, awful place like to, to find yourself in. And yeah. then, and then to kind of think that they're doing it in that, in that respect. And then everyone casts them as like this really selfish individual. Yeah. Like it's, I think that's kind of one of the, the shameful, um, connotations that is associated with suicide right. in general. Right. Great. Um, and, and I think as well, like, you know, now being in the, in the first responder realm, like, it's so prevalent in in that field too. Yeah. I don't know if you've found it in in nursing circles as well as much yeah. as it has been, and like uh, police, firefighters, dispatchers. Yeah, you know. No, I mean we definitely do because um, you know whenever anyone expresses suicidality, they have to be brought to the hospital. They have to be assessed. Mm -hmm. um, so we do have a lot of individuals who have like different levels of suicidality, whether it's somebody who's just attempted who comes into the emergency department or yeah. whether it's someone who's having more passive thoughts of yeah. like, you know, I just feel like it would be better if I was gone, yeah. but just don't want to exist. Anymore, I just don't want to be yeah. like, I wouldn't mind if I went to bed and never woke up, like yeah. things like that. Um, to people who are like, um, yeah, I want to take my life. I know how I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it on this date. Yeah. Like you have that just broad wide, spectrum. Yeah, yeah. And you see them all in the emergency department yeah. and do your best to just, um, you know, support them as best as you can in your role, um, so that they can get to 
um, a facility that can actually give them the, the true support that they need yeah. and, and get them to feel like they can be safe at home and yeah. whatever else it may be. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I know it's, it is. And it's when you, it's kind of sometimes like those ones really stay with you, like seeing someone in that much, like self grief almost, yeah. you know, like it's, you kind of just want to give them a hug and you yeah, know just yeah. be like oh mate like everything's gonna be okay like hold on or all that kind of thing and then yeah. you have to maintain that level of like professionalism when sometimes you're like oh, I just I just give you a hug I just yeah. want to like hold you and tell you that it's gonna be okay because maybe that's the most thing that you need at the moment yeah yeah it's, um, and it's it's really okay. hard to, like I find that it's actually really hard to do that though because um you know, I have no idea if it is going to be okay, mm. you know, exactly. and, um, you know, I feel like, um, Massachusetts has pretty decent, like mental health resources, mm -hmm. but I feel like overall we don't like as a country, as a society, <laughs> like we don't. Yeah. Um, and the way the system like works, I feel like it could, it could use a lot of help. Yeah. Um, but like, but like, I hear you. And like, so, so what I try and do is just be like, you know, cause more often than not people will get themselves here or they'll reach out to a family member who'll be like, you should go into the hospital yeah. or they'll reach out, you know, that's our lucky ones. It's like finding yeah. people like that. Right. Yeah. And so it's just kind of recognizing, um, and like identifying where they've been strong. Yeah. You know what I mean? To kind of, kind of give them that, like, you know, it's amazing that you were able to call somebody when you mm -hmm. felt unsafe yeah. to try and help yourself stay safe. Yeah. And even if it is someone who did attempt to take their life, you know, um, you still can have those conversations and see, you know, um, like just acknowledge you, you know, you clearly are dealing with a lot of stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, I can see like how upset you were, that, that you did attempt to take your life, like things like that. And yeah. then like, and then just acknowledge, like, you know, it's amazing that you're, you know, able to now try and help yourself stay safe and that yeah. you're working with us to get you to a yeah. safe place. Like, I don't know, just try and acknowledge those things, yeah. you know. And like you're saying, even, even being direct and that was sort of one thing that we definitely got taught at Samaritans being direct in your language yeah. about asking and, you know, like people would call and we would introduce ourselves and ask if they felt comfortable sharing their name. And like one of the first things we said were like, I just want to check in. Are you feeling suicidal today? Yeah. Are you yeah. having suicidal thoughts? You know, that kind of thing. And and I feel like when most people would find that either a really confronting to say yeah. or to ask that yeah. question because yeah. they're scared of the answer, like, you know, being direct sometimes just helps them because then you're just you, you're presenting it to them and yeah and that that old um uh not like rumor but like the the kind of thing of like oh well, you can't mention, mention it because it. it's gonna put, put it, it in there yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. like it's such bullshit it's yeah. like if it's there it's fucking there you're yeah. not like then you're not gonna say are you feeling suicidal yeah. and they'll be like oh well i wasn't but now, now that I you am. mention it like yeah. or because you asked me now <laughs> it's okay for me to go take my life yeah. like, <laughs> things like do you, do you find um, it was something I was like thinking about when I knew you were coming over today. Do you find some of like that, the training and the experience that you went through at Samaritans like helps you in your nursing role? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, 
and you know, it's just to be able to kind of like sit and have those conversations with people and let them, let them say it. And then to be comfortable with just assessing, like, you know, if they've, if someone felt like hurting themselves and they say yes, to be like, okay, self-harm or suicide. And I, yep. obviously I don't say that bluntly, yep. <laughs> but, but like, but to be able to kind of like understand that there's a difference. Yes. Um, and both of those things can mean different things. Yes. Um, for, for what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like recognizing that and to be able to like ask that and to be able to, I had a patient the other day that I actually did have to like, you do know, like suss that out for yeah. them. I mean, we do risk assessments for everybody, yeah. but this was somebody who was coming in and, um, they do, they do, they were engaging in both, both okay. self-harm and, um, having thoughts of suicide. Um, and so just kind of exploring both of those mm-hmm. because they do not mean the same thing, yeah. like, you know, so, um, so just being able to do that. Yeah. And that, and that's, and that's like a really interesting point. So there's, you know, what a lot of people will just get scared at hearing the fact that someone says that they're feeling suicidal or they don't want to be here anymore yeah. or anything like that. But again, like in our training, like you had to discern, you know, where someone was on that spectrum. And like yeah. you're saying, it's such a vast spectrum. Like, yeah, like they, they could be performing like self-harming behavior, but that was literally as a way to cope with their psychological pain, but they actually don't have any desire to take their life, Correct, but it's yeah. self-harming behaviors. Correct. But then also you can, someone can say that, yes, I'm feeling suicidal, but they don't actually have any intention of it. It's just yeah. the way that they can voice or express how strong, like the psychological pain is that they're in. It was like, you know, I want to kill myself. Yeah. Like, and then being able to like delve into that a little bit more. And, and then even, you know, someone can be like, yep, I, I, I want to kill myself. And yeah. Like, okay. Then you're even like asking them a series of questions about, you know, it's like, well, have you thought about how, when, yeah. in, you know, what yeah. manner, like all that kind of thing. And then that in itself can, you know, cause where they are on that spectrum definitely yeah. plays in terms of like, okay, well, they haven't thought about their method. They haven't thought about when they haven't thought about all these other yeah. things. Yeah. So being able to, to ask those follow through questions, I think really helps right. as well, because then it can kind of make them go, Oh, like, okay. Like I'm sort of not that they're not serious about it, but the fact that like they can kind of blurt that out, but maybe there isn't as much follow through as what they originally thought to. Right. And then you can also explore like if they've ever felt like that before, mm-hmm. if they've ever like what they've done when they felt like that before, mm-hmm. like different things like what that. What supports they have in place. Right. So you could potentially tap into like things yeah. that they already have mm-hmm. in place and then also just, just kind of be that support. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. Um, Okay, so we've sort of touched on your nursing a little bit. Yeah. I guess um, what made you sort of, so you were working at Samaritans and obviously getting all that, like, amazing experience. Um, At what stage did you kind of go, oh, I want to head in nursing as opposed to, like, the social work? I think I was, like, three years Mm -hmm. in Samaritans. um, And... uh, and I was just, I was missing the hospital setting, you know, because okay. I mean, I was, I was never in like a, like a human hospital, but in the, um, in the veterinary field, mm-hmm. I worked at, you know, small clinics. And then okay. I also worked at, um, a larger 24 hour emergency 
capable hospital. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, actually in that hospital, I was in their nursing department. So <laughs> like where, you know, cause they had techs everywhere. You yeah. Know? So I, I happened to be one of the techs that worked in their nursing department, worked in their critical care unit. Yeah. Um, and so, so I missed that, that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and aspects of it. And so that's why I was like, you know, I think this is actually what I want. I think yep. I want nursing. And so then I started to work towards it and complete like my prerequisites, um, for nursing school and then mm-hmm. took the, um, entrance exam and then applied um, yep. and then got accepted. And that's when I left Samaritans was when I actually started my nursing school because I did an accelerated bachelor's, mm-hmm. um, and since it was a second bachelor's degree, yep. I did an accelerated bachelor's and it was like an 18 month program. And right. so I just didn't work while I was doing yep. that. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I remember that time you were very busy. Yes. <laughs> it was very busy, but I mean, you know, we came out the other end. So yes, <laughs> yes, we did very yeah. much so. Yeah. Um, and so talk to me about, cause when you completed your studies yeah. and graduated nursing school and sort of landed boots on the ground, it was an I would say an interesting, interesting time, time. Yeah. in in the world as we know it. Yeah. Um, so it was funny. I so I graduated from nursing school. I took my boards in like November, and I was like, you know what? I've been working really hard. I'm gonna take the <laughs> like holidays off. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't bother to start working looking for work until January, and so I graduated and took my boards in 2019. Yeah. So it was like January, February of 2020 that I started looking for work. Really fun time in our world. Great time. Um, I got my job. It was on an inpatient medicine floor. Um, okay. So um, expl- explain what that, what that means. So, uh, my floors, <laughs> so, you know, nursing floors are a little bit different. They can, they can be specialized. They can be like an ortho floor. Okay. They can be a surgical floor, primarily surgical floor. They can be a primarily medicine floor. So you'll see your patients. Like we saw a lot of like, um, Jerry psych patients, okay. or we saw eating disorders, okay. or we saw, um, people waiting for psych placement, or okay. we saw, um, people with like pancreatitis or, um, you know, gallstones yeah. or cancer. I mean, there are like specific yeah. hemonc floors, but then sometimes we would get like overflow patients. Okay. We have different things like that. So it was so really just like a general broad yeah. range of like patients. Um, that we would see. So we were primarily medicine, but we would also see surgical things. So we mm-hmm. would see a lot of people who would have like GI issues because the campus that I was on was the campus that would have a lot of like, had our GI floors, a lot okay. of them. Yeah. Um, so we would get a fair amount of GI issues on the floor. Too. Okay. So people um, with gastrointestinal like stomach issues. Yeah. yeah. And then people would get their gallbladder removed or yeah. whatever, you know, things like that. Um, so I was starting there mm-hmm. and I got like, my, I got interviewed. I got my job, um, with like a, a April start date for 2020 and a Shit. week before I started, <laughs> I think it was a week or yeah, a week. I, um, I got a phone call, um, being told that the unit was becoming a COVID unit. Wow. So I started into, and so then I let my family know. And my family was obviously like back then we had no idea like yeah. what was going to come with COVID. Yeah. Right. And so, um, because I was immune compromised, my family was like, maybe don't start right now. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Or like, I don't start? what the fuck are you doing, Beta? <laughs> right. right. Like, and they're like, you know, don't start right now. And I was like, if I don't start, when will I start? Yeah. Like, what, 
we yeah. have no idea yeah, what this is going to be. Gonna be. Yeah. Like, and, uh, and, and what did I go to nurse for to nursing school for? It was yeah. just to like sit at home. Like technically this is what my job is, right. <laughs> to take care of people. Mm-hmm. So, um, even if it is like an unknown yep. thing. So, so I did, I started in COVID and it was, it was very interesting because completely different. The hospital was completely different than it is now. The floor was completely different. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, because a lot of the elective procedures weren't being done, yep. staff was re, re, repurposed, repurposed yep. to like different things. So we actually were the best staffed I've ever seen the floor <laughs> wow. with the best patient ratios was yeah. during COVID. It was very weird to, to be training during that time because, um, I actually thought it was a lot. There were certain aspects that were more difficult, but then the nursing care itself yeah. was easier Yeah, in the sense that, um, in the sense that, you know, we had the extra staff, we had that extra hands on deck when yeah. we were dealing with something like heavy, yeah. um, my floor happened to have it. Now, granted, I was not an ICU. Yeah. I was not in the ED. I was, I was on a COVID floor with the more stable patients yeah. or the patients who are doing comfort measures okay. because they've, the family or them. It's, like, at, that, it's, it's at, at that, that stage, stage where it's kind of more like uh, which it was the correct term, like palliative. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so it's different, you know, yeah. I saw different, I saw yeah. different things. Right. But like as someone, it was just interesting. And then yeah. you, you didn't have a lot of movement, you know, we didn't see doctors a lot. There was not a lot of testing. You didn't really have, everything was over iPad. Like oh, you wow. didn't have like translators, translators wouldn't come to the floor. It was either over the phone or over like an iPad interpreter. Yeah. Um, you know, you didn't have family visitors, like it was over iPad. There was, yeah. you know, it was just very like kind of bare bones, but you also, and then you also didn't have crazy like ratios on our floor at least, yeah. like, which I think is probably like lucky because I've heard a lot worse in other places, Yeah, but, but where we were, we, you know, you had a max number of patients and then you also had these runners so that if you're stuck in the room, um, people can get you, Hey, I need this medicine. I need this oh, nebulizer. Okay. I need wow. this. And they would be able to, they would just go grab it for yeah. you and you could stay and be with your patient focus on the patient. I versus mean, that sounds step like a step in. ridiculously good concept just in itself from like what I know of nursing just yeah. to have like those people to be like, I need A, B and C and literally go yeah. get it. And then, you know, yeah. so yeah, and it's like, we try, that. we try and do that for each other. Like just even now yeah. we'll try and do that for each other. But now we're very short staff. People are burnt out. People don't want to be in the profession. Like, yeah. um, so it's like, you're with this like bare bones amount of people yeah, trying, trying to, trying to support each other as you're all like on a struggle bus, like, literally, like it's like, but, but, you know, so that's what it was like. And then, yeah. you know, that was my, that was how I was trained. And then, yeah. you know, the way my hospital does it is that you train with a, a preceptor for an X amount of times. And then, and then you're on your own, but still in training for an X amount of time. So okay. they work you up to a full patient, like okay. case patient sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, and so you work your way up to that. And so for me, it was like, you know, when I was on my own was when the hospital started to slowly re- reintroduce like 
the regular hospital, like what it was. So it was like, so then I was getting used to that still with COVID happening, but like it was when the hospitals were starting to try and go back to like, okay, let's try and do some of the other stuff that we've been holding off on doing. And then like like, like the reemergence of kind of like the more like elective surgeries mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like different things like that, taking people on and off for testing. And when sort of how, how long did all of that really strict stuff last for? Because like, you know, obviously everyone was in their own their own places during COVID and and you know I will equally say that everyone has their own opinions about COVID and their experiences so um we're not saying one way or another we're just talking about like our own experiences with it um but from like what I remember and like our perspective, like actually I remember you coming to visit yeah. <laughs> like, and we were like both sitting outside, yeah. like, you know, 10 meters away from yeah. each other, like shouting conversations yeah. and, and In stuff like yard, that. Cause yeah. it was like a re- it was very early on. Like it yeah. would have been that, I think it might've even just been before you started. So it would have been that like March, April. Cause it was around the time that I canceled. Yeah. I had to cancel my trip home to Australia cause they closed yeah. the borders. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think I think everyone or most people would know how how hard hit New York was right. at that really like right. early parts of the pandemic. Like right. they had, you know, those giant like freezer trucks because the more couldn't hold all the bodies, and mm-hmm. and we definitely didn't get hit um, as badly as New York. But being one of like the most popular like eastern eastern coast of america destinations for people to fly into mm-hmm. i think we ended up getting like a massive onslaught say from like you know people coming in from europe and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. um so i would say we were hit relatively badly like kind of early on mm-hmm. um you know and and i guess you know what about like i remember back then too like the struggle with like the ppe gear and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing mm-hmm. and so either a were you getting adequate equipment? Be like, um, what was it like to learn how to nurse when you're all in like that that, that so, get up? And and how long did all of those protocols last for? It lasted for a pretty decent amount of time. Like, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the hospital tried to find ways to, um, to like. Uh, save uh, the word um, the word is escaping me right now but to be able to like repurpose the, the ppe and yeah. not have it like be a one-time use thing yeah. which is what it used to be yeah right? um so there you know we had things where we had to put aside like our our n95s yeah. and and save it and then if there was like if it had you know no dirt or anything like that we would send it to a facility to have it like steamed and like yeah. cleaned and then given I back think, to us i, think like, I remember seeing on the like news that. that were like the the uv rooms they yeah. like try to yeah yeah and then try and like get it back to us so that we could reuse them like just different things like that mm-hmm. um so it, it was it was interesting like you know I didn't know like my coworkers yeah. even like what they looked like I didn't know anybody for oh like God, yeah you know, that's for so like, funny for like a solid year I want to say that I was just like 
oh, that's what your face looks like. You know, I didn't even know because it was just like masked the entire yeah. time or like, or they didn't that. do like with your ID badges. Did they have like photo? I mean, not really. Yes no. I mean, we did, but still it, it was, was still like, covered in, yeah. yeah. And the, no one's ID badge is really that great. You know, <laughs> it's like a license. Like, like <laughs> it's going to be you're either blessed with like sure. a really good one. And everyone's like, damn, you got a good photo or yeah. it's like the worst photo you've ever taken. And you stuck have, with it for like the next like 20 years. In my like entire nursing, <laughs> nursing school whatever all of it like I have one ID badge that was like gorgeous <laughs> I was like oh my god can I just have you this like stay just, with me you need to like repurpose this <laughs> like, like this makes me look like a model <laughs> like, that's not the case <laughs> but, but yeah so it's like yeah it took a very long time before I even know what people's um faces look like and then it was also like, I started COVID and uh, not started COVID. I started working. And when I started working, my grandmother actually went, started to go downhill. And so then it was interesting trying to like uh, be able to be, be there, but also not yeah. like, you know, I'd be standing at the doorway, like outside just, yeah. and she's in the room and yeah. then my family's in the room and I can't be there because I'm on a COVID unit. Like, yeah. And you don't want to so, risk like, yeah, yeah, getting her sick. Yeah. You know. And I think, I think you were not alone in, yeah. in that, you know, with like yeah. the elderly relatives, like I know, you know, with, uh, with our family, you know, when COVID hit, I had a five month old baby yeah. and a 90 year old mother-in-law all <laughs> in the same house. Yeah. So there was, and then my husband was, or is a mm-hmm. firefighter mm-hmm. and still out, on the front lines, you know, still yeah. having to do all of the things that, that he would normally do. And, and I think, I think, you know, for a lot of people, it was such a challenging time because yeah. we didn't know what was going on. We didn't yeah. know what to anticipate. People were dying. Yeah. Like, I don't think that can, can be, um, you know, um, dismissed or ignored. Yeah, yeah. Like, and regardless of, of how serious or whatever right. people want to think that it was, right. you know, like, I think, I think, I think it was just a natural human thing. Just we were fucking scared. Like yeah. everyone was scared. Everyone was scared. And, you know, and, was... and everyone had their different level of comfort. Yes. And so it was very Good. hard well, for people well to said. also like, um, recognize and be okay with somebody else's like, that was also like another place where people, like, I don't know, people always default to judgment. Like, <laughs> you know? So that was also another place where people yeah. had a lot of trouble, like yeah. acknowledging that, okay, maybe I'm comfortable with this, but this person's not. Like, yeah. And then people also had trouble like voicing, like, listen, I'm really not comfortable doing a, a walk where we're six feet apart with masks on, but like, let's talk on the phone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they couldn't always voice that either. Like yeah. it's like people were just like scared. Yeah. You know, no. So. And then, yeah. And that's such a, such a, and then there were some people who point. didn't care about it at all. Yes. <laughs> it's like, yes. And so it's like, you know, everyone just had a different level. of comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, like you're saying, you know, you, you were scared or didn't want to go in, you know, to the room with, you know, your elderly grandmother. And I like, I sort of like remember thinking like, Oh my God, like I, I have a, you know, a five, six month old baby who I still breastfeed. And yeah. what if, what if I and was like solely, you know, just yeah. on, on breast milk at that stage. And like yeah. in my head, I just remember thinking like, Oh my God, like what if something happens to me? Like, yeah. what's, what's he going to eat? Who's going to feed him? Like, yeah. and obviously there are alternatives and all that kind of thing, right. but it was just like that, that, 
those things go through your head. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, and then equally like, obviously I'm not from here. Um, and we had just planned to go home and we had to cancel the trip. Um, and I didn't, I was locked out of my country for like three years. Yeah. I had to go home for three years. So like the last time that I'd been home, my youngest was in my belly. Yeah. (laughs) I was like five or six months pregnant. Yeah. And by the time, you know, borders opened and it was like an appropriate time for us to be able to go back it was three years later and yeah. so I'm rocking up back home to introduce everyone to like my two and a half year old kid. Yeah. Like yeah. it was just, yeah. it was a very, um, you know, challenging time I think for yeah. everyone and everyone for had sure. a different experience right. and, and all that kind of thing with it. Right. And, um, you know, I, I just still think it would have been a, an interesting time to kind of start your new career trajectory yeah. right in the middle of like the first global pandemic we've had in yeah. you know, like a hundred years. And it's like, also just interesting because like nurses who were nurses before, tell me mm-hmm. like how different the medical f- profession is now and how different wow. nursing is and how yeah. different like patients are and how patients treat like like staff and different mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and they're like, it's completely different. And I was just like, I have no idea. Cause this is all I know. In what, like, can, can you delve into that? Like a little bit more, like in, in I what mean, way? I think, I think in like, kind of a negative way where it's like, they, like a lot of people, um, a lot of staff is burnt out yeah. and then a lot of people, um, from what, from what I've been told are just like, I don't want to say in, they feel like they're entitled, but they just, they don't have a respect for the medical community or medical staff as they used to. So there's a lot of really mean, disrespectful, like abusive God. people, um, that just yell at you a lot. And then like, do, do you experience oh, that? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I have to have like conversations with people a lot of times to be like, I'm just here to help you. Yeah. It's like, I haven't done anything. I'm here to help you. I hear like that you're frustrated. I hear that you're this and that, but like, you know, let's focus on the fact that like what our relationship is mm-hmm. like, like, and obviously I say it a little bit differently. Yeah. But the gist of it is essentially that it's like. It- is that from your own experiences or from perhaps what like other nurses have conveyed? Is it like, or did that boil down to sort of, um, so I think there was like a certain point come COVID where, um, you know, like every, some people still wanted to be taking precautions and like we, how we talked about everyone's comfort level was different. And some people were like, all right, I'm fucking, I'm done with this. I'm yeah. so fucking over it. Yeah. Um, was that sort of part of like the, the change in people's behavior towards nurses because they might've either just had protocols that they had to follow because that was what the rules were at the hospital or the yeah. medical, you know, yeah. uh, facility they were at and people were uncomfortable still having to maybe perform those safety measures or as it just like, overall everyone's I think it's an overall kind of thing but again like I didn't know nursing before this so I can't like and then like like I said you still get patients who are just like understanding that like Mm -hmm. you know you're you're juggling a lot and they like you know um and are a little bit more like I'll use the word reasonable I don't know if that's necessarily the completely right word do you know what I mean but um but there are a lot of people who just are like angry. They're angry. Like a test takes too long. They're angry. Like 
like a doctor, like can't come and talk to you. They're angry. This particularly in the emergency department. And so, um, so that's, that's where you are now. That's yeah. where I am now. And it's like, yeah, a lot of people are just like, just very like angry or, you know, we have patients that are brought in, um, who are like, you know, like feed me and get very upset at you if you can't go get them their sandwich right then and there. And like, <laughs> so like, do, do you think you walked into a cafeteria? Like they get very, very upset. And it's, and so it's very like, you know, it's, it's difficult to try and like still be respectful, but also be like, I understand that you want a sandwich, but I'm also dealing with this patient who just had a stroke. So yeah. I need you to kind of like, you should dial it down yeah, a little bit. I need you to settle for me. I've also told you three times that you can't eat anything until we get the testing. Yes. <laughs> so, so it's like, you know, trying to have that, like, and then, and then there's some people who are just very lovely and like, get that you're doing your best. And yeah. it's like, um, but then there are some people that maybe the re word is reasonable that are just a little bit unreasonable yeah. um, and don't understand, don't, don't, don't allow themselves to understand that there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, it's just, that, they're kind of the most important and that's yeah. how you should view it and yeah. all that kind of thing. Yeah. So it just makes it hard, but I don't know. I don't know what it was like before. Yeah. You know, I don't know if this is always how the emergency department <laughs> feels, you know, because I, I've, I've just like, you know, I've only been in it for uh, close, I'm going close to a year now. Yeah. So, um, and I don't know if nursing was different than, yeah. you know, this is all I know. And so, I, yeah. And I think it is really challenging. And I think any first responder role where it's like, I just think no matter what you do, you're never going to fucking please everyone. Yeah. Like there are just those people who, even though like, they are like, you know, they're your police or a firefighter. You're there because they've called you. Yeah. Or, you know, they're rocking up in your ED because there's something wrong and yeah. you're trying to help them. But yeah. then when they're coming at you with like that combative nature. Right. And again, you know, we don't always know what the reason is behind it and right. whether, you know, something in society has just made people really fucking angry at the moment. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, like I think, I think that was sort of, and it sounds like you take like quite a, um, a similar tact that I remember, you know, I think, look, I think everyone's always happy when, when firefighters rock up, Yeah. you know, they, I think they're like out of anyone, they're like the universally loved first responder, you know, like sometimes they're hot. So that kind of, you know, plays into it, but yeah. like, as in, I just, you know, there's very rarely like a negative connotation attached to someone, you know, a, a firefighter rocking up. Whereas a, you know, in like my former role as a police officer, your uniform could just set them off. Yeah. And equally, like we just have people like horrendously combative with you and you were just like, mate, like what the fuck? Yeah. And, I, and sort of, you know, like something that you were saying like earlier just made me think about it. And I think it was, you know, not like a speech, but it was sort of just something that I would always try to, to go along. And especially, um, especially if it was like a, a male that I was talking to and was like very combative towards me, um, as a female police officer, you can really either calm a situation or inflame it. Mm -hmm. And it like the dichotomy was very like, it was generally either one or the other. Yeah. And I think you had to learn that as you went along, but also, you know, I think if it was like a, someone was being, you know, very, um, 
challenging towards me, I just feel like, mate, have you met me before? Yeah. You know, I have how many times I've said that to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> But like I did it in like the the aspect of I'm like, look, I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and say that I have no any of your um, previous interactions with other police officers. All right. Like they may have been shit. Cool. Like I I can't change that for you now. But like what I really want to focus on right now is why I'm here. Yeah. And like, let's let's just start afresh. Just you and me right here, right now. I'll put aside like, you know, any preconceived ideas I might have. I'm asking if you will just put aside any of your preconceived like or, you know, other interactions that have gone badly with coppers and let's just you and me fucking sort this out. Yeah. And it would just really like more of the not dial it down a little bit. Yeah. Having a dart with them would often help too. (laughs) For whatever reason, it would always, you know, help calm the situation down. But I think, yeah, equally, like, you kind of trying to get them to have that that level of reasonableness, yeah. you know, can be so challenging. But it's I think it's kind of a bit of a skill to learn too because yeah. equally, if you're having a shit fucking day and you are overworked and understaffed and trying to deal with all, you know, these patients and this person who, okay, like, they're in the ED but they might not be that bad. Yeah. is being so challenging and so difficult yeah. like you could equally turn around and be just as combative back yeah I mean I've definitely had to like walk away from people before mm-hmm. and like you know when I find myself kind of getting to that point then I'll just be like you know this is unacceptable you cannot talk to me that way I'm mm-hmm. gonna step out and then when like I'll come and check on you again later and you know and we'll see if we can kind of continue what we're yeah what we're doing yeah like I had someone tell me it was my job. Like I was, uh, the other day there was someone who was being combative. I was having a bad day. It was very stressful. And, um, and there was like the, a bathroom in the ED was, was messy. It was dirty, but it was, um, something that I could take like one of our cleansing wipes and wipe off. It wasn't yeah. something that was so crazy that I needed to call, um, to have cleaning somebody, services, yeah. cleaning services to have. So I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to call cleaning services. I'm just going to do this really quickly myself because the patient can go to the bathroom and everything like that. And the patient came into the bathroom with me and was essentially telling me how I needed to wipe down everything that was in the bathroom. (laughs) And then I was like, I need you to just give me a minute. Like, I'm capable of, like, wiping down the bathroom. And then... um, there was something like a, like a roll of toilet paper that was on the side. And I was like, and it was on something that they wanted me to wipe down. And I was like, can you just hold this? Because I had nowhere to put it yeah. in the bathroom. And they're like, they told me, no, they're like, I'm not going to hold that. You can hold it. And then um, they're like, um, they're like, why would I hold it? It's not my job to hold it. It's your job to clean the bathrooms. <laughs> and I was oh like, like, like it's, actually it's not. And but... I, yeah. I think I told them, I was like, I was like, I know it's not your job, but you know, it would just, be helpful to me if you could just hold the toilet paper for a second so I can just finish wiping this for you. And then, and then the person was like, I'm not going to hold it. You hold it. It's your job. It's your job Jesus to clean. Christ. And I was like, at that point I was like, okay, I'm done. And I walked out the room. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and I walked out the room because I was like, it's actually not my job yeah. to clean this bathroom. I'm doing it to help my coworker. Yeah. Primarily. Yeah. It's um, actually not for you. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I'm doing it so I don't have to call the cleaning services for something that could be done by me really quickly. Yeah. Um, I don't think I've ever seen you angry. I'm not sure what angry beta would look like. Yeah, it's not pretty. 
<laughs> is it like once you flick that switch, it's fucking stuck on? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to like, I, I do get, yeah. Because I, I, I think I'm able to keep myself level-headed more often than not. Yeah. So when I do get like fired up, yeah. like I do try and step away from the situation. Yeah. Because you like your job. Because I can just feel myself like, I can feel myself like, <laughs> In and I was like, I was like, you are so disrespectful right now. Oh, and I mean, like, that's not something to say to anybody. No, like, that's not. I don't even. I don't even care if it's cleaning services that are cleaning the bathroom. You will not say that to them. Yeah. Like that's just rude. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, that's in my opinion. So yeah, no, that's yeah. that makes sense. Um, so you said that you have been in like the ED for roughly twelve months now. Mm -hmm. Um, what made you want to transition from sort of like? So I, is it, is it a, a position within the same hospital or it is, is yeah. okay, okay. I'm still in the same hospital and it was, um, I, I missed because I was in the critical care unit at, in the veterinary field. Yeah. Um, there's like a speed to things. Yeah. There's things that you do there. Dynamic sort of. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And so I had missed that. And even, like, I actually, when I was going into nursing, I thought I was going to become a, a NICU, which is the neonatal intensive care unit nurse. Mm -hmm. I thought I was going to be a NICU nurse mm -hmm. um, because I had a friend who had a, her, had a baby who had to be in the NICU and mm -hmm. she was like, you would be perfect here. And um, like, you would be a great NICU nurse, like things like that. And so I always thought that that's what I would do. And I thought that that would bring together like my aspects of the Samaritans where it's like, and my healthcare stuff where it's like, I could treat the baby, be there for the baby. And then I could also offer that support to the parents yep. who are really struggling. Yeah. Um, but the way like schooling worked out, um, I had to pick like my, my practicum or sign up for my practicum before I had even experienced a pediatrics course. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, so then I just, I was, I was started to doubt whether or not Yep. Pe pediatrics was what I wanted. Yeah. Um, and so then I ended up doing like an adult practicum. I had more experience in adult because of schooling stuff. Yeah. And so I just ended up getting like a job on a, an adult medicine floor. Yeah. Um, and then while I was there, I was thinking like, okay, well, do I want to try and get into pediatrics? Mm -hmm. And I think for me, like the fact that I am a little bit older made me decide not to because I'm like you know what I just want to become more established yeah. I don't want to go to like learning more I just want to be yeah. more established in what I'm doing and get myself to that point where I'm a more established nurse because I don't have the youth behind me kind yeah. of thing yeah um so is that if, something that you could kind of pursue down the track if you actually if really I wanted, wanted to. to like if I changed my mind and I mm -hmm. wanted to but I've I've also been finding like I actually do kind of, I don't mind the adults. Like I yep. do find I'm able to connect with my patients that are mm -hmm. adults as well. Um, so, so I didn't necessarily like feel like I was in the wrong place, yeah. you know? And then, um, and then, but I did miss that kind of like feel like mm -hmm. I, I was like, I don't think I want inpatient medicine all the time. Um, on, on a floor. I think I do want something a little bit different, but what is that? Yeah. And so then, um, I was able to have, a like a shift where I just observed the ED. Mm -hmm. Um, and then for a few hours, like uh, my unit educator was able to set it up with the ED unit educator. Um, so I spent like a morning in the ED and mm -hmm. saw some different parts of it. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? I like this enough to, yeah. to try it. And then I, and then I applied, got the position started and went through the training and then started yep. on the, yep. and I'm in the unit now. Okay. Um, but it was that, it was that like missing that kind of 
feel yeah um, like the dynamic environment and, yeah and I guess you know especially like in an ED and in a very busy like yeah. a, if anyone doesn't sort of know um like in Boston there I want to say it's like four or five like major level one trauma centers thank you yeah there you go yes i'll I'll, I'll let you describe that better than uh, my terrible attempt um but yeah so like there is so so many amazing hospitals in this area yeah and like some of them are just all clustered together they're all yeah and like it is like, a, like just like a couple of blocks of each other yeah for some and, of them in that in the longwood area the longwood medical area has a lot of okay. like um has like dana farber brigham and women's beth israel um deaconess medical center um like jocelyn diabetes center yeah. like children's hospital yeah, say, boston children's is uh is, is mgh in that area or that's no so off. that's the one that's off on its okay. own um, okay. but all of those are in that area mm-hmm. and then and then you have mgh in its own kind of area okay. but but like 20 minute drive you know yeah. what i mean yeah like, so yeah so everything's like really relatively close and they're all level one trauma centers yeah. you know and then you also have like tufts and bmc yeah um that's also like maybe a 20 minute drive yeah um so so there are all these like hospitals that are just yeah. like in this area um that are amazing hospitals mm-hmm. um so um and i lost my train of thought <laughs> That's right. One for you, one for me. Um, No, but I think it's, I think it's brilliant that, you know, the people in, and I mean, I'm, you know, aware of people coming from like all over the country and sometimes all over the world to come and and receive treatment at at some of these hospitals. Like there's some of the most, you know, well-recognized and and renowned ones like in the country and, yeah. and in the world. So I feel like, you know, you would get such a, an amazing variety. Like, you know, you're seeking that like dynamic nature for your profession. Like, yeah. I think that it would be amazing because you just would get like some great experiences in an ED and in one of those like level one trauma places. Yeah. And like the way my hospital has it is that, you know, um, there are different areas within our emergency department. Okay. And as like a, a newer ED nurse, you're, you're in these, everyone starts out in these particular areas. Mm-hmm. And then once you've been there, then you, then you get your trauma nurse certification and can move to the area where the traumas originally will go into. Yep. Um, so, so it's like this level of like ensuring that, that you're good. Like you're good yeah. to go. Yeah. Like, you can handle so, it. You're good under pressure. Yeah. 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 And get that. And then you get that extra training for, that's not to say that we don't see in these other areas things, but things that are like, that are, um, the most, the like most dire seriousness yeah. and the things that can it's be like the categorized. Grey's Anatomy people running through the doors yeah. on the gurney, all that kind yeah. of crap. <laughs> and the things that can be categorized as, as an actual, like yeah. trauma yeah. will go into usually that area yeah. first. Yeah. Um, so, and that way you have your like more experienced nurses that know how the ED works. Like, yeah. so even if you have ED experience somewhere else, you still have to okay be in the other areas yeah. first that you learn how this ED yeah. works, like how the testing is, like yeah. how different things, like where things are, yeah. like where you would go if you had someone who had a heart attack and came in and like, you have to rush them up to like the cath lab, like how, how you would get there, like yeah. what you have to do. Yeah. You would learn all of that before you're even in that area to receive these traumas. Yeah. Oh, that makes um, sense that each so. place would have its own sort of um 
process and, yeah. and way that it works and yeah. all that kind of thing. Yeah, and then once like you do get that certification, then you can be in any part of the ED, but mm-hmm. but you can't go into there until you get okay. that. You know what I mean? And so how and how long does that sort of aspect take? Um, usually like a year. Okay. It depends on how many people you have like ahead of you that are waiting to get into that area, but it's like uh-huh. but it's like usually a year. So So are you still sort of in the process of mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so what, what's like, are you in like a specific area? Like, is it, you know, no. So there's like five, five different areas in the emergency department that I'll be. And so, and then you, and then you just kind of rotate between them. You go in and you see where you're put in that day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So you don't even know like beforehand. Sometimes you might, (laughs) sometimes they might put like the, the schedule up for the next day so that you'll be able to know. Um, but no, usually it's like you go in and you're like, you look and you see where you are and you're like, okay, this is it. (laughs) You're like strap in. (laughs) Is there like one that you love or one that you particularly are like, Oh no, no, actually they're, they're all like, they can all be have days where it's like, okay, this is like a, like I'm, I'm a steady busy. I feel good here. Yeah. And then there are days where it's like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> what is happening here? Like, like is it is Mercury in retrograde? Like, what is going on? Is the full moon? No. Like, what is happening yeah. here? And so. and obviously working in a level one, you know, trauma ED, I presume that you're doing like lots of different kind of like shifts like night shifts days afternoons yeah. um like and you know i think that's where the uh the full moon comes into place yeah sometimes. yeah it's like you can kind of be like all over and then obviously you know there's always things that are they're always like short shifts so people will pick up shifts so sometimes yeah. you have somebody who's there who's working a 16 hour day yeah um and or like someone who like popped in for four hours and then it's gonna to just help out and yeah it's gonna go, like go yeah. and then the people doing their full shift or yeah which is usually 12 yeah we usually do 12s and how how do you find the the, the shift work I, it can be hard mm-hmm. um you know it can definitely be hard because you know when you work a 12-hour day your day is shot yeah. like if you work a 12-hour day shift you, your day is shot like you're out of the house depending on how long it takes you to get to work, you know, you're out of the house early in the morning before mm-hmm. anything's open and you're usually home after everything is closed. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so, you know, your day is completely like you can, you can really do nothing on that day. Yeah. You get home in time to have dinner and possibly like unwind a little bit and go to yeah. bed. Um, and then, or, you know, if you have your family, like sometimes people are home after their kids fall asleep, if they have young kids yeah. or, you know, if they have older kids and they might still be awake, but it's like you spend a little time with them and then they, yeah, everyone goes to bed. Um, and then if you work night shift, I mean, everyone's a little bit different mm-hmm. with the way my body is. I don't tend to sleep a lot. So I find that working night shift actually gives me more time, um, to be able to like wake up and, have some stuff. Cause I am not an early riser. Like I'm not someone who will wake up at like four 30 or five o'clock in the morning to then get something done before my seven o'clock shift. Yep. Um, so, but that would be most of like the population. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't but, feel too bad about that. But like, but my night shift, like, you know, I'll get home and if I'm lucky, I'll be in bed by eight, mm-hmm. um, eight in the morning. And then like, I'll wake up around like one, one or two. Mm-hmm. And then I have like, you know, yeah. three, four hours where I could, you know, do things like take yeah. my dog somewhere, go run an errand or two. If yeah. I need catch to. up for coffee. Or yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. And then try and maybe 
like put in a power nap before yeah. I actually go into work. Yeah. Like, so, but I, it's just like, it's complicated. Like yeah. flipping back and forth is complicated. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I feel like that would be, cause like I used to love, I used to love not shift when I was yeah. a copper cause you would do it for like a whole week. Yeah. And you'd work 10 days straight and then get your six days off. Yeah. But I know with, you know, and say then like, my husband's schedule, he does like two 24 hour shifts a week yeah. and different firefighters have like their different schedules. But I feel like with nursing, it's, you know, one of the more challenging ones because you kind of seem to get thrown around a hell of a lot. And yeah. I feel like it would be really difficult sometimes to like regulate your body and your sleeping pattern and, yeah. and all that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, where I am, they usually try and do like two weeks straight of like one type of shift. Oh, really? Two weeks okay. straight of like another type of shift. Like yeah. two weeks of days, two weeks of nights yeah. to try and allow like, a life. Yeah. <laughs> but then it also, it ends up being like complicated because like, you know, we're usually what, like 36 hours, right? So it's like, if I work three nights, um, if they're not like back-to-back -back nights, then it's like, what do I do? Do I wake myself up early so that I can then try and have a day or do I just yeah. keep myself on the night schedule? Oof. And then like, just kind of, it's figuring that stuff yeah. out. Um, so if I can, I try my best to cluster my shifts Yeah. so that like, okay, boom, boom, boom. And then I have like my struggle with my first shift where I likely will not sleep that much before it because mm -hmm. I just, my body just won't. Yeah. But then for like the second and third one, then I can have that like, hopefully like, six hours if I can, yeah. um, of like solid sleep, yeah. um, to be okay for the next two shifts. Yeah. No, so. that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to pivot to talk to you or ask you about like the, um, the mental health aspect of mm -hmm. being a nurse. Um, and what, if anything, are you, spoken to informed about when it comes to being in nursing school and like do they talk to you about you know trying to manage your own mental health in mm -hmm. terms of like everything we've kind of like discussed about like the attitudes from patients the yeah. different things that you see the the shift work um or is there anything at like a hospital level that that they I mean they, they talk to you about I feel like they try their best to um I think in nursing school, they did a little bit, honestly, like, I don't necessarily think it was a lot or maybe substantial because I don't have a vast memory of it. Right. Okay. So if I thought yeah. it was like super substantial, substantial, yeah. <laughs> I, feel like I would remember it, but I do, I do remember they did discuss it. And I do remember them having like student health services. Like okay. I remember seeing, cause they had their like Instagram page. So I remember seeing things that were like mm -hmm. offered, um, and I do, I do think we talked about it like a little bit. I just don't remember it like fully like sticking in my head. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but like in terms of the hospital, I know that, you know, there, there are like, um, hospital services that are offered. I think they offer, like when you go to pick your benefits, I, um, I think there are things where it's like, you know, you can get these like supports through the hospital. Okay. Um, as in like specific mental health. Yeah. Sports. Like this is how you can reach out for this kind of thing. Okay. Um, I know that sometimes, you know, we have our like chaplaincy service that mm -hmm. offers themselves social work offers themselves sometimes like just if you need it. And yeah. I think sometimes that's just like the, the, the individuals themselves that will also be like, you know, you can always come yeah. to us if you need to, um, at my hospital, I know I've seen a few times that like, um, one of the departments will come around and bring like, 
I don't know, um, the stress, like poking things and like candy for the floors and just kind of remind people um there's some people that do like reiki and stuff like that and so sometimes they'll write that you can like have a sheet in like the break room for staff to reach out to to get that done if they wanted to so they do have these things that are there and then Mm -hmm. i do think that sometimes it's also like the units like the particular units the nurse directors that'll do it because i know that like I remember my floor would have things that sometimes they would offer or like have like a massage thing. There was like a day that we were doing something and they had like a massage chair and the, the there was a massage chair that was going through the floors oh, wow. and each floor would get it for a period of time. Yeah. So like you could go and like, like, like sit on a, in the on massage chair yeah, and try and get that little bit. So they do do things like that. Mm-hmm. And I know that like, um, if something difficult happens, um, like, Oh, more often than not, I've seen an email goes out that says like, here are things that you can reach out to. We're going to hold a debrief at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, if you please come to it, if you participated in this, like, so then it's like, um, so there are those things that the Mm -hmm. hospital does try to provide. Um, could it be better? Sure. Like, but the same as everywhere. And I know that like, you know, sometimes they do say, Uh, I know one big thing that like, at least the ED is trying to do is like having people relieve people for breaks. Okay. Yeah. Because, um, because we, we don't take breaks. Like I will eat at the computer because that's all I have time to do. Like one of the things that I've learned to do, even though I still don't do it well in the ED is to pack snacks (laughs) because you're there for a really long time. Yeah. And it's like, um, you don't have time always to eat a full meal. So it's like, I have time to throw something in my mouth really quickly and then move on. Yeah. So then you keep doing that. You do that. Yeah. Like so that you can, that could be taken way out of context. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Sorry. (laughs) But but literally. (laughs) So, but yeah, so it's like, so, you know, like and, I feel like nuts would be really good, like, right, like cashews and, like, and just like that high or like string cheese or a protein bar yeah. or like a protein shake, like things yeah. like that. Something that you can just kind of like, you know, have a little bit of and then like go do yeah. what you need to do. Yeah. Um, so, but like particularly actually recently I've had people who've come by and they're like, you know, I'm here to kind of make sure that you take a break kind That's of thing. Nice. And, you know, I've actually sent people away because like, not all the time, but they're, you know, sometimes I will send people away because I'm like, I'm too busy. Like, I don't feel yeah, like I could step away I because yeah. when I step away, then I have to come back to like 10 things to do. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the other day I sent someone away because the section that I happened to be in, like everyone was set. Yeah. Like, everyone was set. And I was like, you know what? I'm actually in a very good place right now. Yeah. I'm going to sit down you. and I'm going to eat something. Yeah. Uh, and I can eat something here because I know everyone's comfortable and everyone's yeah. set. Nobody needs anything. Nobody's going anywhere. Um, so I'm just going to sit here and I'll, I know I'll have like, you know, my 10 minutes to be able yeah. to eat something, maybe even yeah. more. Um, and I was like, why don't you go see if someone's yeah busier and really needs to actually step away. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, but, um, but that's something that they try to do because like we are notorious for not, yeah. I've gone like a 13 hour shift and I won't drink water. I won't pee and I won't eat anything. Yeah. So I can't say that that's not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. But no, cause I was, I was thinking about it cause I, I remember from, you know, our time at Samaritans together that, um, like the culture there of really 
you know, if you if you had a really oh, high risk phone call, yeah, yeah, like they were, there were, that was one thing. Like I would, I would give you know that organization um, so much credit for was they were yeah. very, very good at like, and especially I think as well because, okay, like when you're in a first responder role, you're expected to like you're not joining, you're not becoming a nurse or a cop or a firefighter or, you know, um, EMT or a paramedic because you don't think you can fucking handle shit. Like yeah. normally you have a certain level of capacity, a certain like resilience, whereas like, all right, like I'm in this, I've done the training, this, this is what my job is. Yeah. I'm going to see challenging stuff and that's just kind of part of it and yeah. we're going to deal with it along the way. But especially like when, you know, it was like someone who was volunteering their time who, I mean, I would say – a lot of the volunteers more often than not will have had some kind of an experience with a suicide loss because that's often yeah. what draws, draws them, them in. to it. Yeah. Or like how you were saying that, um, you know, sometimes people come and do the work there because they are going down the like a counseling, mm-hmm. psychology, mm-hmm. social work yeah. field. And that can be part of like the experience that they do yeah. in their program. Um, but so I think, yeah, there was something like checking in on those people. If they've just had a high risk call, they may have had to um, call the, the authorities because someone was, you know, in a, in a dangerous situation and yeah. like needed a welfare check and all that kind of thing. Like, I think that was one thing that they, they handled very yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. We, we like, we would make them debrief. Kind yeah. Of thing. Yeah. And then, you know, in the trainings we would talk about like, self-care mm-hmm. and it's like what are the things that you can do both on a larger scale and on a small scale yeah like you know small scale just step away from the phone for yeah a you go, know? go make a cup of tea go yeah. have step a dart if that's what you know talk, you talk you with do. a staff yeah. member that's there like kind of yeah steal a candy on my dad so that's why I always have candy there like that's like I thought it was just for me yeah <laughs> I thought you were just stocking that up for me yeah um but I think that yeah, that was always, you know, and then I, I was wondering what, what it was like in terms of, you know, like you're saying, like, you know, in a nursing station, you're there for 12 hours and like, you just disclose, like, sometimes it's like, I don't drink, I don't pee, I don't eat, I don't stop yeah. for like, and you know, 12, 13 hours will kind of go by and then you're like, holy shit, like, and, you know, I guess like, you know, you get a, a challenging job or you know someone comes in and and the outcome might not be as successful as everyone was perhaps like working towards like that's a part of your job yeah but like I guess you know how does yeah everyone sort of cope with that as a kind of just not I'm not gonna say blase in like a bad way but it's it's just like a nature of your job is it is it kind of just I mean I think part of it has to be yeah right? otherwise you'll be so affected yeah that you won't be able to do the job like but I you know I mean I say that with like a grain of salt yeah that like um because obviously you're not going to be completely like um desensitized yeah. to it but there will be a level of it yeah um, and then, yeah. And then they, they, they do the debriefs and okay. then they remind you of services that are there okay. to offer you support, um, so that you can get further support yeah. if you want it. And how, how sort of close generally are the debriefs like compared to like when, when say when something happens. Yeah. So when there's it's been usually like a negative like, outcome, it's usually like that day if okay so like generally within that within that shift and then are you um is it mandatory that you attend it's strongly advised okay right i don't know if i would say mandatory but i would say it's strongly advised and more often than not i feel like people do attend because they do want to you know because one of the things that we also do with the debriefs is like 
how did it go? What did we do well? What could we have done better? Yeah. Right. So, so it's like, like a all, of that, to, all yeah. of that. So it's not just like, um, being supportive and talking about our feelings about like what the experience was like, but mm-hmm. it was also like, you know, how did it go? What did we do? What could we have done better? Yeah. You yeah. Know? And that makes, that makes a lot of sense. What did we do? Well, what could we have done better? And so if you like, say it doesn't happen within your shift, right. And say maybe it was a night shift or something. And then like you're coming in for the next night, but then someone else is about to finish. Like if they're quote unquote, you know, strongly advised, like are people coming back in on their own time? Do they get paid sometimes, to come in like attend a debrief? Yeah. Sometimes I don't know it's if they like get paid honestly, bag. because I've never, I've never done a, I've never done a debrief that was something where it's like, I had to go back. Okay. Like I think I've usually had it where it's like yeah. the end of the shift or a few hours later, because obviously there's so much, so many logistical things that yeah. have to happen. Yeah. Um, and then also when you are in this emergency, other things are not being dealt with. Right? Yeah, of course. So then it's like, you have to kind of like, you know, settle what's happening there, but then also potentially check on and settle what's happening outside of there. Yeah. And then you find that time where it's like, okay, like everything's calmed down. Most of the fires are out. Let's yeah. have this discussion Yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like, I think with the, I do feel like sometimes it might be like, okay, we're all going off shift, stay for the debrief. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, and so then it's, it's that kind of like, so I've seen a little bit different, but I've never had it where I've necessarily had to go back the next day. I think for me, it's usually normally try to be within that, within that shift. Yeah. That shift sort of realm or spectrum sort of thing. That makes sense. Um, and we touched on it like a little bit before when we were talking about, you entering the the nursing um, profession during COVID, but I think a lot of people would have heard, you know, in the media about just like fucking burnout, like complete yeah. and utter burnout, yeah. um, staff shortages, and just absolutely fucking awful ratios yeah. um, because people are burnt out, people are leaving you know, just regardless of, of what someone's, um, opinion may be on COVID itself, that the fact that it was a busy time in the medical, in the medical realm. Um, and I guess like, what has your experience been in terms of like, have you noticed over the time that you've been in, like, a lot of people just going, you know what, I'm fucking done. Um, you know, and, and, and again, yeah, you spoke about the fact that like your ratios when you started were amazing because they could be. Yeah. And then obviously when you started more working on your own, when you were finishing up your training, it was like, obviously that those ratios petered out a little bit. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's like, you know, um, we had, even though they might've been short staffed back then we had the staff and then you have all of those people who got burnt out over the COVID period. Yeah. And then, and we had less patience, right? Cause people weren't coming in for yeah. other things. So now everybody's coming in for like everything. <laughs> and then you have the people who got burnt out and are no longer in the field. And then people yeah. who don't want to go in the field yeah. because another like unfortunate thing is that like, we, we don't, we get paid well, but also not that, like, I don't necessarily get paid well to live in Boston. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if anyone gets paid well to live live in Boston, Boston, right? So then it's like, so, you know, to be able to also survive, like, 
living here, yeah. I have to work either a lot of overtime or have a second job, which a lot yeah. of people do, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to say like anything that that's a bad thing, but no. it's also like, you know, when you go to school, when you get this profession, um, when you're like a healthcare professional, like you would hope that you wouldn't have to work like three jobs to live where you live and yeah. go to work, you know what yeah. I mean? But it's like, but a lot of people, so they'll, they'll go to they'll go to things that will pay them better too. Yeah. You know? So I was going to, I was going to ask, so I know that sort of uh, travel nursing is kind of quite like a, a very yeah. popular option yeah. at the moment. And I know that like you've had friends who went through nursing school have yeah. sort of gone and, and done that. Yeah. Excuse me. Is that, um, have you found that maybe a lot of, nurses who have experienced that kind of burnout of working in like a hospital or as an ED have just kind of like jump ship to go do something where a it's oh, more so many people because they're financially like, lucrative. Yeah, because they're like uh Fuck they're this. feeling yeah, they're literally <laughs> like, I'm just gonna go make money. Yeah. Like I don't why why should I uh why should I stay with this organization when like and if they don't when it's all like feeling and... like shitty. I'm yeah. just going to go make the money. Yeah. I mean, I even did that for a little bit. Like, yeah. um, I did a stint of like local travel, but I was yeah. still getting paid so much more. And it's like, it's hard because like, you know, I wasn't really getting benefits though. Like, okay. The, some of the so travel nurse trade off. Yeah. So some of the travel uh, nursing organizations will give you benefits, but you have to, uh, um, obviously stay with that same organization and like kind of, and you can get some benefits. Um, for me, because I do have my own medical things, yeah. I wanted to ensure that my health insurance yeah. was what I needed it to be. Yeah. So I ended up buying it through what Massachusetts offers with the health connector. Okay. I bought something that I knew would be good for everything that I needed and accepted yeah. my doctors and all that yeah. fun stuff. Um, but like, but you don't really get a lot of like the other benefits. And so that's why I ended up leaving, but I left it to and took like a massive pay cut yeah but i do get my benefits through work now yeah but now i'm also like struggling to pay my bills yeah. so it's like that kind of like trade-off so then i'm you know and trying to figure out okay like what can i do to to be able to offset this again yeah and more yeah. often than not that seems to be like picking up like those you know working the 16 hour shift or yeah. picking up a four and eight on like your days right. off and all that kind of right. thing which yeah. i mean how how regular is that Right now it's pretty regular because yeah. we're very short. Like we're just very short staffed. Um, so there's then, always like shifts that, yeah. that are in need and it's just whether or not you can actually like make it or not. And, and we're trying to not make it and yeah. have balance in life. Yeah, like, so. exactly. And are they, you know, is that like a thing that, you know, all those positions advertise and they're just waiting for people to fill them or like. So the way the ED does it is they'll, um, they'll, um, email out shifts in need. Okay. That need people. That's, that's how the ED does it. Yeah. Um, the way so, my floor did it, there was, um, shifts that are like available and there's a way that we can see on like our, our scheduling tool yeah. where if like something's in a negative and, and they need people, we could potentially see that. So it's like, you okay. could technically, um, like I could technically look at that and then email like the person who does scheduling and be mm -hmm. like, Hey, is this shift actually short? Like I'll pick it up if it is kind yep. of thing. Yeah. Um, but how they typically do it is they'll email out like yep. the week before and be like, these are the shifts in need. Okay. And so that could simply just be down to the fact that like someone's on leave, like on holiday yeah, type of thing. Somebody got sick. Or is it, is it as well the fact that there are positions like as in a you that's missing? From yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For yeah. sure. Like there definitely is. There definitely okay. is. 
Sorry. Yeah. Mm, that's challenging. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's very challenging. Um, okay. I think we just talked about that. Oh, the one thing I did want to, um, uh, or a couple of things I wanted to ask you about was, um, we, we may have like touched on a little bit when we were talking about like the, the mental health aspect and, and what some of like the, the hospitals do, mm-hmm. how do you find like the camaraderie amongst like the nurses and the staff at the hospital, like, um, you know, you mentioned that you didn't even know what some people looked like for like yeah. 12 months because you never saw their faces because yeah. of all like the PPE gear and stuff yeah. like that. Like how, how is the camaraderie and especially when it is kind of somewhat challenging with the ratios and being overworked yeah. and, and the burnout and all that kind of thing that happens, what's the camaraderie like amongst, you know, the nurses that you find? Um, I think uh, so far I feel like I've been like lucky where uh, I feel like, you know, we try and be helpful to each other if we can be, mm-hmm. I mean, but that's also a grain of salt because you have individuals who are yeah. more helpful than yes. others. Um, but I think we usually like to do little check-ins with each other. And like, I'm definitely of the nature where I will do check-ins. Mm-hmm. And so then that sometimes defaults to the person being like, do you need anything <laughs> to me? And I'm yeah. like, no, I'm actually okay right yeah. now. Um, so you try and do that. So, um, you know, we do, I think we just, we're doing our best. And so yeah. we do try and be like, um, to try and do that. And then sometimes, you know, it will be like, someone will need something like, you know, if maybe one of the nurses can't get an IV and they're like, can you go try and get an IV in this room? Yeah. And so, and then, you know, I'll be like, yeah, sure. I can go and like, look at that. And they're mm-hmm. like, do you need anything? I was like, will you actually throw this person on the monitor while I go and do that? You know, yeah. type of thing. Yeah. So we'll so try we'll our best. Give and take and- yeah. We try our best to, to, to support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and like, I, so I've been lucky where it's like, I do feel like I've had that, yeah. um, in nurses and in the techs that work on the floor yeah. and in the emergency department mm-hmm. and like, um, and even with like the doctors, like, mm-hmm. you know, everyone has their good days, their bad days. Yeah. And, but more often than not, I think we try our best. Cause I think we all recognize we're all in the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And, cause, so- and I think that would be, you know, perhaps uniquely challenging, um, in terms of like the nursing profession, as opposed to police and firefighting and even, you know, maybe like corrections and dispatches and stuff, or even, you know, EMT paramedics, like a lot of that time, it's like, you know, firefighters and certain positions in the police force, like you're in a crew yeah, and, or, you know, if a cop, like you work with a partner or a paramedic ENT or that kind of thing, like you're often working with the same person yeah. all the time, you know, they're the, are good qualities, they're bad qualities, mm-hmm. you know, the nuances, um, you, you know, you spend a great deal of time with them. Whereas I feel like, you know, that doesn't always kind of cross over to maybe nursing because it's like, you've got your patients, they've got theirs yeah. and it can be almost like a little more solitary for you guys. So that's what I was wondering about, like whether that camaraderie comes in because as well, like with all the varied shift work, like do you find you work with the same people most of the time? No. Or it's just I mean, very on, the, on the floor. Yes. Because it was a much smaller, yeah. like it, the floor I happened to be on wasn't like a, like a, a large, large floor. I think yeah. we had like, 20 something beds, you know, yeah. it wasn't anything like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, I knew who I worked with. I knew yeah. the text for more, more often than not. So it was someone new. Yeah. Like, um, in the ED, 
there's so many moving pieces and like, um, they move the text around a lot and then, you know, you're never in the same zone. So Mm -hmm. it's, so it's like you, you won't always be with the same nurse and then you have your travel nurses that are there and then you have your other nurse per diem people. And so it's like all over the place. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, I definitely feel like one, it's taken me longer to know my coworkers in the emergency department. Yeah. And, and two, like, I could be working with like one set of people like on one day and then a whole different set of people on the yeah. other day. Yeah. Um, so it is a little bit like harder in that sense. Yeah. But it also is like, you know, if I need to boost a patient, like I can just run out. And if I see someone who's free, I'm like, will you boost this person with me? And they'll come over and they'll yeah. help me out, you know? Okay. Um, and just like, if they would ask me that I would go and I would help them too. Yeah. So it's like, we do try our best. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But uh-huh. it is, it's definitely, it's definitely <laughs> like, I'm like, I need to learn your names. <laughs> and like, so it's hard. Yeah. And I think, and I don't know whether it's the fact I've like gotten older, but I swear to God, someone can like introduce themselves to me. And then like legit 10 seconds later, it just yeah. like poof, like disappears out of my head. And I'm like, oh my God, what's the name? What's the name? What's the yeah. name? And I, I don't know why it happens. But yeah. <laughs> it happens to me like all the time. Yeah. And then you feel fucking rude if you're like, so it's like the fifth time I've had to ask your yeah. name and I feel like a dick. It's like, like, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's bad. And like on the floor, there are ways that like you get reminded because on the floor, um, you know, I'll, they'll put out the daily assignment and they have people's names and then under their patients and then they have the okay. text. So you know who your yeah. tech is. So it's like, I can look at that and just see and who are all the nurses that, that are working. Sarah yeah. Like Jeff who are all the nurses whoever, that yeah. are working and who are, and, um, and who are the techs that are on right mm-hmm. now? And so then it's like, you, it's easier to like learn. You have that second thing that's helping you learn someone's yeah. name. And then in the ED, like, or, and also the name goes on the board in the patient's room. Okay. In the ED, that none of that happens. Right? <laughs> so you have like your sheet that has the schedule for the day, but that's like in the break room. So it's like, I look at that once okay. and then I walk away. Yeah. You know what I mean? I look at that to figure out where I am and yeah. maybe who's with me. Yeah. Um, and then I walk away. Yeah. Um, and so then it's like, so then it's, it's harder. Like I started to try and get in the habit of like looking at like the overview of my, the unit that I'm in yeah. to see the names of the nurses that are on mm-hmm. to re- like have that visual reminder of this face is this person, yeah. this face is that person to just yeah. try and remember it a little bit better. Yeah. That so, makes sense. But it is like, but then on top of it in ED, you have so many, there's so many people. There's, yeah. there's the doctors, there's the nurses, there's the techs, there's the um, cleaning services, like yeah. our service response people. There's so many moving parts, so many people. And it's like, there's the, you know, people who take people for their um, CT scans, radiology, yeah. those, the transport people. Oh so there's so many yeah. people there. So, and, I, and it's like, I want to know all of them. Yeah. Um, or at least try to. And so it's a struggle. Yeah. Like, Otherwise it's a really friendly, hi, how are you? And, and you know, that, that is what it is <laughs> yeah. often. And I'm sure they don't even know my name, but it's like, yeah. but I do feel bad that I don't know theirs. All like, the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but I think as well, like, um, sort of the, the nickname culture would yeah. be maybe a little less like in that situation as opposed to like the crews and the partners, yeah. you know, like you always just get called by your surname or some yeah. nickname you get or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So hopefully that makes it like a little easier on your behalf. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I think we've probably like covered 
majority of uh, all the things that I got you in here to badge you about. So okay. thank you for that, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so at the end of every episode, I like to finish it off by asking two questions. So mm -hmm. um, the name of the podcast is I Will Hold Space for Your Darkness. Mm -hmm. And that has come about from um, my coaching services for first responders. And it's, I guess, my my belief in the fact that I think there's like an element of, of darkness that really like underlies a lot of you know, our first responder and emergency services mm -hmm. roles. And, you know, especially in terms of, you know, you being a nurse and having, you know, people come into you a lot of the time with, you know, either like significant injuries or yeah. really in the crux of that, that life or death moment. And then you and your colleagues are, are tasked with, you know, trying to trying to save their life and and there is you know that element of of darkness that you know invariably death brings into into our world yeah um so the first question I really like to ask people is um how do you hold space for your own darkness like how do you hold space for the there's really challenging and, and upsetting things that that you see in your field and, mm -hmm. and what do you do for yourself that kind of helps you cope and, and manage all of that um, so I do, I do a couple of, I do a few things. Mm -hmm. Um, one is sometimes to just allow silence to happen mm -hmm. because the easy is such a busy place yeah. and there's so many like noises. So sometimes if I have like a difficult or a tough shift, like I'll drive home completely like with no music playing or anything yeah. and I'll just let that drive be just like this drive where it's just like the quiet is there. Yeah. Um, to kind of like sit with it. Yeah. And like, I'm not a huge uh, classical music listener, mm -hmm. but I find that sometimes like the classical music at that time mm -hmm. is actually also because it's just like this kind of like calm, like not all, but like yeah. it is like, you know, and so sometimes I like where I don't typically yeah. play classical music, yeah. like that at those times I'm like, this is what I want to hear right now. Yeah. Like, so, like, so like, I'll do that like quiet. And then sometimes I'll, I'll find myself like, I'll get home and I'll be like, Oh, I didn't even turn on the radio. Yeah. Like, none of that was, yeah. I didn't do any of that. Like, yeah. Um, I'll do that. Like, um, you know, sometimes I'll just, uh, I have a dog and I have a cat. And so mm -hmm. I'll just do self care with like that. Um, and I have my own therapist. And mm -hmm. so I'll use that sometimes yep. and it will just be talking about the yep. shift. Yep. And then there are certain people in my life that I know have either seen or dealt with similarities. Mm -hmm. So it's like, they're people like I can talk to, like in my family, I know I can talk to like my sister because mm -hmm. my sister's an oncologist. So she's seeing all of that. And yep. then like, she's able to talk to me about stuff because she knows that I can handle yep. and see all like I've seen those things too yeah but I wouldn't necessarily talk to my mom and I wouldn't really talk to my brother about those yeah um because not that they might not necessarily be able to handle it they mm -hmm. probably could but I also don't think they'd I feel like they try and like change the subject or like or um like fix it or say something different or um my mom is like first generation kind of like old school like she's a little bit like more rough around the edges so she might say something that like I would find offensive <laughs> so, you know without even meaning to like yeah you know, that kind of like 
trying to be supportive, but yeah. not really like knowing. You yeah. Know? So um, I think that level of, of empathy is really kind of important yeah. in, in that regards, like yeah. you're talking about with your sister. Yeah. So it's like, so there are certain people or like certain friends, like I know I could probably talk to you about things. And so, and I do sometimes, yeah. right? So it's yeah. just like, there's certain people that I know, like, okay, I could, I could go to this person yeah. if I needed to, because yeah. they would understand all of the frustrations. Yeah. Um, but or could possibly understand close enough to it, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but, and then there are some people that I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes it is like, okay, I need to remember to bring this up with my therapist. Yeah. Like, and just kind of delve into it a little bit. Yeah. Like, and it's also coworkers, like yeah. coworkers, like my staff there um, that, you know, I can like go through, like, cause I've definitely had days where it's been like crazy. Yeah. And then we're all just like, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Like, like, I feel like we were just all got like run over by a truck and like, you know, we just have, we just connect on that, like fact that like everyone is feeling the same way Yeah, and we have that. So it's just doing that. But I do find that like, yeah, sitting in the silence and, you know, taking my dog for a walk or yeah. you know, something like that. It sounds like it really gives you an opportunity to just kind of process it. Like you yeah. need either that silence or that, like you said, like that classical music that has got nothing to do with anything else in your life yeah. just to really yeah help your mind and your heart and everything sort of just process whatever yeah. just happened yeah and then like decompress a little bit yeah 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 no that makes total sense yeah um and the the other um sort of question that I ask as well which um you may may or may not have sort of um answered it in your first answer but it's what is the one thing that you feel that someone else can do for you to help you hold space for like that darkness so in terms of um either helping support you or something that they uniquely can do that would enable you to be able to do that um so to kind of like what I said in the first comment, yeah. I would say um, just kind of like listening and I really just kind of want that like acknowledgement that that sucked, you know, yeah. I mean, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I don't really need much else, but, mm -hmm. but just kind of that acknowledgement. But then also sometimes, sometimes what I need when I'm in that kind of like space or if I had like a really crappy shift, um, like I need people to like make a decision for me, like yeah. kind of thing where it's like, if I haven't eaten all day and I've had a really bad shift and like, someone's like, let's go out to dinner. I'm like, okay, but you have to pick, you know what I mean? Like, cause it's like, I just don't want to think about anything. Yeah. And I'm like, and don't make it difficult for me. Like, <laughs> just like pick, like, don't give me options. <laughs> like, you know, I kind of like, I kind of need that where it's like, you know, yeah, I, I want to decompress, but I also don't want to think about anything anymore. Yeah. So it's like, I just need you to kind of like, just make a decision like, yeah. and not bring me into it and yeah. just be like, okay, we're doing this. Yeah. Like, and sometimes even if it is like a, okay, let's go, let's go take a walk, like whatever it might be to yeah. have that person kind of like do that. Mm -hmm. if, if they're the person who's like with me at that time, yeah. you know, if I'm not by myself, then yeah. to just be like, let's go. Like, yeah. And then it's like, okay. No. <laughs> and that's, that's actually like super, super common that, that, decision fatigue. Yeah. Um, like you're one of my friends who I sort of, 
will know that sometimes I have to do that with. And I have another nursing friend too, who is um, like in the, you know, like a management role in her nursing career. And she's just having to make calls, make decisions like all day. And it'll be, you know, when we're texting back and forwards about like plans and, I can just tell it's like a tone. I mean, say a tone in a text message. It sounds stupid, but it's like, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's her tone when she's, she's just being very ambivalent about it or just very like wishy-washy. And I, and I'll literally just send a text and I'm like, do you need me to make the decision for stuff right now? Yeah. Or sometimes I'll just do it. I'll yeah. be like, all right, we're you know, going out for Mexican, we're going to drink margaritas and this is where we're going. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and I think I find it with my husband too. Like, he is firefighter, but he is a captain and more often than not upgraded as a deputy. Yeah. So when you are just constantly making decisions like for a whole 24 hours, it is something that I find is so super common with like anyone that I come across in that first yeah. responder realm that you just don't want to make another fucking decision. Yeah. And literally, and it's whether it's what's for dinner, you know, what are we, what are we doing with the kids? Like, what's this, what's that? And I like, think that's, I just don't want to think about it. Yeah. I don't want to think about it. Like, just I'm done. one, just one more decision. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm all tapped out. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's like really, really common too. Yeah. So, so it's like, that's what I would, I would need. I would either need you to just kind of like listen and just acknowledge I'm that. I'm just going to come over with Thai food and wine. <laughs> Literally, which and I think I've done. <laughs> and then just make the decision. I don't want to think about it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. All right. Well, Beta, thank you so much for coming over yeah, and spending course. your this time with me. This was a pleasure. Me. Thank you for having me. No, it's been wonderful. Um, all right. Thank you for listening um, and tuning in. Uh, this has been I Will Hot Space for Your Darkness. I am your host, Erin Jane. Stop looking lovingly at me. I can see you doing it through the camera. <laughs> Beta's looking lovingly at me right now. (laughs) Um, If you have any comments, um, anything you wish to share, any topics that you would like discussed, um, I will put all of the contact details in the show notes. Um, If you happen to have a pen on you right now, it is uh, my website is uh, Um, and you can get in contact uh, in by email info at erinjanecroaching.com and I'm on Instagram, uh, I guess Facebook. Um, there's multiple ways. I'll pop it in the show notes. But um, thank you for listening. And, um, yeah, as always, let me listen in a way that you've never been heard. Thanks for your time. <laughs>